All right, welcome to another edition of Speaking to Swing of the Podcast. Uh, I forgot special guest today, comedian uh, out of the Carolinas, uh, good friend of mine, Mr. Keith D. What's up, man? How you doing, Jared? Good to see you, man. It's, man, been, it's been way too long, man. I ain't seen you in, uh, I think, since uh, I came and did your show uh, years ago, years ago. Yeah, at least I, at least three, probably, uh, probably probably three or more. Correct. Moved to Atlanta, I think. Yeah, I'm down here, man. I'm just, you know, I'm just, just weighing options on what I'm going to do next. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm down here just trying to, you know, do a little bit of everything, dabble a little bit of everything. I've been seeing that you've been doing good, man. I appreciate it. I've been, uh, been having fun. I've been working my butt off, man. It's uh, starting to come back out, come back out of the COVID uh, cave. Yeah, people. man. You still be having people with one mask on when you at your shows. With do it, say that again. You still have people with masks on that come to your shows. You know what? I got. A, I, I have a new joke. I just started telling about. It. it just came to me. I was riffing on the crowd. I was one couple that had the masks on, mm-hmm. and I said, uh, "I said, well, I appreciate y'all coming out with masks on. I, I think we're at the point in COVID now when we see people with masks on, we think, oh, they just tested positive right there. <laughs> they're they're infected. They're just trying to be nice to the rest of us. Correct. They want to they want to come out anyway, but they're afraid they start coughing, so they wore their masks. Correct. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Yeah, you're right. Now, before we go to your comedy thing, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that right right in a second. But I know you had to do something with your upbringing to get you to where you went with the comedy game. So was that start? Was that early on? Was that trying to be like the younger child trying to get attention? What? How did that come about for you? So that's actually a great question. Um, so mama, I was raised by a single mom and she had four kids and she was a pretty, pretty severe alcoholic for a lot of that time. And she always worked two jobs. I actually did a, 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 a storytelling event one time called listen to your mother, where I explained that whole background. Uh, it's on YouTube, but uh, yeah, uh, maybe we can put a link to it or something, but, um, yeah, we can do but it. anyway, she, she was a, a highly functioning alcoholic. And she had four kids and we were rock kids, man. We were bad. But uh, there was an article one time she shared with us and uh, it, it talked about the dynamics of an alcoholics family. And there's always a kid that's, uh, you know, the substitute parent. That was my older sister, the uh, the baby. And that was our little brother that everybody sort of looked out for. Yeah. The lost child who just sort of, you know, just got lost in the whole mess. And that was my older brother. And then the uh, the peacemaker comedian sort of bring everybody together, keep it keep it light, don't get too don't let things get too dramatic or dark. And, and that was me. That was my role. I was always the guy that you know, no matter how ugly things were getting, I'd, I'd look for something funny to say to break the mm-hmm. ice and, and make everybody laugh. So, and that was just kind of me throughout school and uh, uh, you know, growing up, I was always a guy trying to. I just hear things different. I think most comedians hear things differently the way people say them. We pick up on how funny that sentence sounds together or how funny that sentence would sound out of context. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so we, we hear things differently. We don't listen the same way. And I'm always trying to crack a joke on. This is what I do sometimes. Somebody 
come at me with like a big word. I don't know it. I'm like, he probably cussed me out. So let me uh, Google this word real quick. So I'd be Googling words all the time. Make sure they ain't saying nothing derogatory or something. Because I don't know what people be saying these big words sometimes. So that's what I do. So I get what you're saying when uh, <laughs> when you said that we think differently. But with me, what you just said was peacemaker and and comedian or peacemaker and, you know, being funny. That's kind of like two different things. I don't know how you missed that together. I don't know how in the hell you did that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm an interesting blend of it. I, I actually was driving today, and I was thinking I should have a a, a, a personalized license plate. Yeah, that is the, the number two, F N, and then the word nice. <laughs> two F N nice. Uh, I, I am notoriously uh, over nice, over friendly. Uh, you know, I think everything's my fault, and uh, and I'm I try to keep peace. I try to make sure everybody's happy, and I try to make sure. You know, everything. But sometimes fine. it's draining, though. Sometimes it's draining, it too. You know, it is. It is. It is. When you try to be nice and try to, you know, be the good guy, try to be, like you said, try to be even kill, it drains you and you just like, is it worth it? You know? Yeah. And, and I wish that I, I wish that I reacted faster and knew when I should be pissed about something and, mm-hmm. uh, and should respond more assertively. But it takes me a while. Like, I'll be home later thinking, well, dang, I I should have been mad about that. I should have told that person about their behind. Um, so I just don't I don't get angry fast enough sometimes. No, I get it. Now, when you was in school, did you do any other that, you know, some people go through the theater stage or whatever, or you can be like Eddie Murphy and start comedy at 15. So I didn't know, was that like your thing when you was younger or you just did something else? So I never pursued like, I don't want to say professional because in school it's all amateur stuff, but I never right. pursued structured theater or uh, entertaining whatsoever. Uh, and, and some of it, I'm not blaming my mom at all, but some of it was, you know, having a, having a support system at home that says, hey, you know, we should, we should try this thing. Uh, my mom was one that was like, okay, that means I'm going to have to pick you up after school and I don't, I, I'm not going to be able to do that, so you can't do this or that. And again, she didn't hold me back, but it was just a different support system at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then personally, I just never, uh, I never really applied myself to those kind of things. So I just really just to try to get attention. And I was a goofy looking kid, I'm a goofy looking kid now, but I had a big old fluffy curly brown hair, man, and I had a hat head. I tell a joke, I, I used to wake up big old fluffy curly brown uh, hair and now I wake up with CPAP mask strap. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I was goofy looking. So, I, you know, the only way I was going to get friends or get girls to talk to me was to try to be funny. And, uh, and a lot of times it just t- turned out to be annoying. But so I didn't do anything until I was 50 years old. Um, oh, wow. Was, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. I, mine, uh, I started from uh, I got fired from a job. Oh, really? I got fired from a job. And um, so I was debating with it back and forth. So I called one of my uh, I called one of my old teachers from middle school. Well, I, I messaged him on Facebook and I asked him about the comedy scene. because He used to live here and he was like, oh, I got the perfect person you could talk to. I said, OK, who? He said, get in touch with uh, Andrew Van. I was like, OK, Andrew Van is a. a like your agent dude in Greenville. So I was like, okay. And so I got a test with Andrew Van. Uh, we went down to the open mic. 
we was just there chilling, just talking and seeing other people that he knew because he was involved with the scene. And then the next week, that's when I when, when I did it. Um, now, do you remember the first time you ever did it? And what jokes? And was you terrible at it? I was I was terrible. You would be, <laughs> you would be so disappointed in my first set. You would be like, dude, you said all those things on stage in public. It was a uh, it was a terrible set. But I was at uh, I I was at I didn't even know I was at a killer club. I was at the Helium in Portland, Oregon, and uh, a twenty or uh, fifty people signed up for like eighteen spots, and they drew my name. They tell you ahead of time, but they drew my name, and I was first. And uh, oh, they, I drew, said, they drew out the hat like like like, like that. Well, that's what they tell you. But they 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 take so fifty people sign up on the list. They take the list. They go away. They come back with a list. Uh, so they tell you that it's random. I'm sure it's not. You know, it wouldn't be. But I'm sure it ain't uh, random. And it's and not fact, random. I signed in as Keith Big Daddy D just to try <laughs> to get a little more attention. <laughs> and uh, and that's where that started. And so they uh, anybody still call you Big Daddy D now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, most of the younger comedians are like, I'm not introducing you as Big Daddy. <laughs> but other people. I don't think I will either. I look at you, you know, weird at first. I used to host shows. They were like, what? Nah, bro. Bro, what, what is your name? What is your first and last? Or what you go by? We ain't saying this shit. But yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> I, did a, I did a show. It was an all-black audience, probably 400 people. And it was a hair product show. So black hair products. And I was the comedian headliner. And the guy introduced me as Keith Big Daddy D. So I walked up there. I said, I know what all of y'all are thinking. That's Keith Big Daddy D. Did anybody see a picture of this man before they put him on this show? Yeah. <laughs> it was great. They love me. Oh, First man. time I ever had an encore request for one of my jokes where I show my stomach. The lady's like, do it again. <laughs> uh, it was funny. But I only went and did the open mic because I was trying to get a friend of mine who really had studied and really wanted to be a comedian. Mm -hmm. uh, his name was Taylor and he really wanted to do it. And I was like, well, let's go. I'll do it. So I wrote a three minute set. It was garbage, man. It was oh, my oh. first time. Oh my God. Oh my God. I, I probably, I had three minutes too. And I probably said three, three minutes. I probably said 20 cuss words in, in, in three <laughs> minutes. It was so bad. And it, 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 it was at the, uh, I guess they say got this mic going going on. It's at the Coffee Underground because don't nobody be doing nothing on Monday. So they like, well, y'all can have this stage on Monday or whatever. And so, I don't know if you ever did that room or not. You ever been in that room before? No, I've had many invitations to come and uh, I've been in town right around it. I've just missed it. I haven't been in there yet. I want I to. But I don't know if they do any more like, um, like showcase shows or not. I'm, I'm not sure if they do any of that no more. I'm not around the scene down there. Uh, I still talked to one comedian. We talked last week about several things on what's going on. Um, and he, he, the ones that's over, uh, they do stone grown. So I don't know if you ever did that other place. They, they do the shows at too. I don't know why. I don't know why they haven't had you over there yet. Yeah. And I, and I haven't reached out myself. I, uh, I'm not one that says, I wonder why they haven't contacted me. I always believe, especially coming from a booker, uh, I believe if you want to get booked, you got to reach out to somebody and ask them to get booked. So if, if someone hasn't called me, I don't take it personally. I just assume 
they're waiting on me to call them or they're not even thinking about because there's 8,000 other comedians that always want to get booked. So. And out of that 8,000, best believe over uh, 80, uh, what, 80, 90% of them ain't shit, basically. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Those are always the ones that are aggressive, too. Those are always the ones that are like, book me, book me, book me. Yeah, then they come in there with some crap. That's another story for another day. But, but you know, I don't want to ask this because this 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 story is old now. But it it does play a factor for for you. And I see your comedy, so it's probably going to affect you. But you have been around different type of people like I have. But do you think that Oscar situation kind of changed the way people look at comedians now? It's kind of one of the things where. You know, they say a joke I don't like, or they say a joke that they don't know nothing about, or whatever. And they and and uh, you know what I mean. It's just one of those situations. You think that kind of changed the way it is now? I don't think. I don't think at our level it had a big change, except that it you know it it gave uh, gave a bunch of stupid jokes to people uh, to tell. I've heard the Will Smith joke every show since then. Oh, hey, what? Oh, but I, but I will say, I bet you uh, that people, comedians, you know, like Ricky Gervais, he tears people's butts up when he roasts. Mm -hmm. And I would bet that now comedians are probably telling shows like that, that they want, you know, some security. They want some guarantees. They want, they're probably, you know, want to make sure that somebody's going to take some action next time to prevent that from happening. Cause that is, I mean, I, I, my opinion is uh, Will Smith was a piece of crap for doing that and had he should have been arrested. He should have been arrested for assault. I mean, there's absolutely no excuse for that. He should have been escorted out of the building, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that should have never uh, been toler- tolerated. The joke wasn't even that hardcore. In fact, it was a good joke, and it was a little bit flattering. It was actually it was actually a soft joke because we know yeah. what Chris Rock can do, so we oh absolutely can do. Uh, I mean, I, I understand. Now, now, you know, now it was different the way he did Jesse, but we the way he did Jesse was totally different from this one. But you know, but I, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't see the one with Jesse. Oh uh, man, he killed Jesse, and he. <laughs> He killed Jesse. He came out there and it was like, well, when they told me, you know, I couldn't do no Jesse Smollett, uh, no Jesse Smollett jokes. And they, and you tell the comedian, don't do a joke. He's going to do the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, it was way worse than that. But yeah, but that takes me back to in Columbia years ago with what happened to comedian Steve Brown. Steve Brown, Steve Brown is in, is, is in Atlanta now. Because Steve, Steve Brown got a room out there. He did have a room that he did here. Uh, but Steve Brown was from Bad Boy Comedy Series. He did Comedy View a lot of times. But then what happened at the Comedy House in Columbia years ago when Steve Brown got to a fight with a guy that was in the crowd and stuff like that. And it's like... That take when that happened, that took me back to that Steve Brown situation to where uh, it can happen again to somebody. Yeah, that guy was trying to kill Steve Brown. Yeah, correct. And you know, oh, and it just stand swinging mic stands at him and everything. Yeah, and yeah. it's just one of the things where comedy, I always look at it as like if you if you take comedy outside of theater and they rehearse theater, you know, tons and tons and tons and tons of times, but really outside of stand-up comedy, what other live event do you have besides a sport event? You know, there's not really much live venues out. So if you take, like, the the 
the the the life out of the the, the situation. It ain't much of like you can't take the fun out of the live performance. You just you just yeah. can't, you know. Yeah, and, it's got to be live. There's a recorded. Even when you watch comedy at home, you laugh a little bit, but it's not as good as it's uh, not. It's all not the, all the Zoom stuff we did was. It just was. Okay. How was that? I'm glad you mentioned that because I remember during the COVID time, people was doing Zoom comedy shows. I was saying that. How did y'all do that? Because I don't even know. Please explain to me how did y'all do that? Because that right there didn't even sit right with me, like how you could do a Zoom show. How did that even happen? It was uh, it was challenging, and I will say this, and this might sound arrogant, but you gotta have a you gotta have a certain personality type. You 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 can't just there are a lot of fantastic comedians that are very dry that just tell great jokes and they don't have a lot of interaction. Um, and I don't even mean necessarily crowd work, but just that energy is low. And in a room full of people, they're dying laughing and that just feeds it. It's just great. But when you're doing a, those people don't do well in zoom shows because you can't hear the laughter. And so you kind of need, someone that's a little more higher energy. I did well on Zoom shows because I'm high energy. I'm looking at all the video screens and I'm, I'm calling people out and I'm getting them engaged and picking on them and I'm making them sit in and listen and be a part of the show mm-hmm. and laugh and I can see them laughing and I pick on different people and kind of get them engaged. And it was hard, but um, I did a few private shows uh, Lauren Anzi had me on a couple of private shows. I did, uh, I did one kind of big one that was webcast and, mm-hmm. uh, and, th- and that, that host was really good at keeping people engaged. Uh, I did some speeches. Uh, it, you it, know, that would be different for me though. That would be different for me. That zone zoom stuff would be different for me, uh, especially in like a comedy sense. How would it be different for you? Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm saying it would be different because I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know what joke came across. I wouldn't know what well, the re- what the reaction is. You can see if you do a good one, you can see the faces at least on that screen, and you can see people laughing and they'll they'll type in comments. And I never could see the comments, but uh, I go back and look after. But they would type in stuff and they'd laugh with each other, and you could see them kind of laughing and sometimes if it's well run uh they'll leave their microphones on um but the problem with that is you know the dogs start barking and their kids walk in the room and so they'll mute them um but you can kind of see them laughing and giving a thumbs up and that kind of stuff um so i enjoyed the ones i did but it was definitely a unique challenge and um and and i saw some people really struggle because they didn't have that you know, comedy room feedback is, it's, it's physical. We can feel it. You can mm-hmm. feel the energy. Um, and, and, and we need that as comedians, we need that feedback to feel like we're doing good. It's mm-hmm. like a crowd at a football game going, go, go, go. Makes you run harder. Makes you play harder. Um, man, listen, so- when you hear that silence, boy, Ooh. If, oh yeah. If you whack and you hear that silence, you're like, Ooh. You're like, yeah. man, let, let me go to another, let me go to a safe joke real quick. Let me go on my package. Like, yeah. complete silence is the worst. You know, you even got T.I. doing comedy now, which that's, I don't know how I feel about that one. Have, have you been seeing that too? T.I. doing yeah. comedy? No, I've seen a lot of people uh, just chiming in, though, trying to do it. Yeah, he, I don't know about a rapper doing comedy. I don't know. I don't you know, know about a rapper. Is it funny? Does he have jokes? Is, are they his? 
I didn't even pay attention. Does he have a rider? You know, Jerry Seinfeld said one time, that, of course, he's at the top of the you know mountain of comedian, mm-hmm. but he said one of the most discouraging things to him is, you know, as soon as you step foot in an open mic or, or on a $5 showcase, you're a comedian. And he's got, you know, 30 some years experience. He's, he's been at the top of the game, the very top, and he's a comedian. So it's, uh, he, he didn't like that. Um, is Jerry Seinfeld one of your favorites or is your favorite? He is one of my favorites. I used to get told not so much anymore, but I used to get told that I, uh, uh my style was like his, mm-hmm. uh, especially in when I was just telling stories around the bar or, you know, the room with the living room, whatever the party was. And I was telling stories and getting, picking on people. I had kind of a Jerry Seinfeld style, but now that I've started doing comedy professionally, I, I think I've developed my own voice. Um, and that's so, the main thing. Somebody told me a while ago, when you are, when you're trying to find yourself in comedy, you kind of want to make, you kind of, I won't say make a character, but you kind of want to make a voice that people can kind of mimic because it's a good gimmick. Like, like uh, that time when Sean Wayne's had this situation where he came out there acting like Chris Chris Rock. He was talking like him. He was whatever, like Chris Rock, or Chris Rock got that gimmick. People think when they see Chris Rock on stage, he talked like that in person. He really don't. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just one of the things that he just picked up on because he found his verse, his voice early, early on, and he just kept it going. So I can see you probably doing the same thing. And plus, you perform all the time, though, so you get them reps in. Well, and the, and the, I'll be honest with you, you one of the things you uh, you told me to be prepared for from a question standpoint is what's the best advice anyone ever gave you? And uh, someone told me one time, uh, you know, talk about you, talk about your life, talk about who you are. And, and uh, Joseph Coker said one time, when I watch a comedian, when they get off stage, I want to feel like I just learned something new about that person. And uh, and that's what I started doing almost immediately. Mm-hmm. I started telling very personal stories from my life, from my own voice. Uh, of course, you know, I'm on stage, so I, I speak a little more uh, mm-hmm. showy. Uh, but it really is my voice telling stories that li- I lived and that I remember and that I was a part of. And, man, my comedy just night and day, quantum leap changed for the better. I was telling observational jokes that I thought were funny that no one else thought was funny. But once I started just talking about my life, 95% of the words that come out of my mouth on stage actually happened in my life. My mm-hmm. best joke is about a text I got from my daughter that was very embarrassing for both of us. <laughs> and I tell that story every single show. It is a incredible story. Oh, wow. Yeah. I always heard that. I, I heard that same thing too, uh, to where, because it's easier to talk about yourself. You only, you at a point that if you talk about yourself, you only got to write not, not, nothing down. Like, right. that's why when I first started, I got to a point where I had a starter joke and I had an ending joke because I knew that was going to, I knew that was going to be great. But it was too, there were two, there were two, uh, different type of jokes though. Like, I know I always started my first joke off by playing with the crowd and I always play with the crowd and say, you know, how y'all doing this, this beautiful couple right here. Y'all look like, uh, y'all last name is Packer. And I'll be like, you know, over here, y'all last name look, look like whims. 
I'd be like, those are good walking down the aisle names. Like, there's no way in the hell I can have somebody and we introduce ourselves as the swingers. That just don't sound right, all right? <laughs> so when I said that joke in every room, when I started off, it gets a laugh. Every, it don't matter if it's white people, black people, Hispanic people, whoever. That yeah. joke to me is universal. So I learned that early on to where I have to have this starter joke. I have to say this joke. I have to. If I don't say that joke when I'm starting, then I'm going to be so uncomfortable with everything else because everything else has a flow to it. You know, and so that's what I learned early on, uh, just by watching other people, just by doing homework. Uh, I when I was deeply into comedy, I tried not to look at stand up all the time, but I was just so much of a fan. I had to. It was just a new special come out. I gotta watch it. You know, something comes out like Gary Owen got something. I gotta watch it. Cat Williams come out. I gotta watch it. It's like to me, I had to watch it, but I try not to steal jokes or get. Mimic, but at the same time, like you said earlier, when we think the same, when we kind of think differently, some of us gonna have the same jokes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, John Crisp was on Dusty Slade's podcast talking about the difference. He was homeschooled, and he he gave two examples. The one joke was a joke that anybody could tell. I've heard so many um, uh, colonoscopy jokes from headliners. I, if you don't have a colonoscopy joke anymore, I, I don't think you're uh, actually a headliner. But uh, everyone's got one, right? And, and yeah, and, and no one stole it. It's it's just a, it's common. Everyone has one. But John Christ was homeschooled, and his mom brought in an Abraham Lincoln for the homeschool. And the Abraham Lincoln, the man who showed up, was a black man who's doing the Abraham Lincoln character <laughs> for their homeschool. And he said. He said, if I hear somebody with a black Abraham Lincoln homeschool joke, they stole my joke. But if they got a colonoscopy joke, they didn't steal my joke. All right. Correct. They're just not in the same, you know, joke everybody else knows. Yeah. But I you, that was a good difference. Correct. But when you said something about once you start talking about life stories and stuff, but you feel like at times, because I felt like this, I ain't know how, I ain't know how you felt like this, but you felt like you was kind of getting too personal and probably saying a little bit too much. You know, I I, uh, I know what you mean, and I found the more the more personal I am, the funnier the joke will end. As long as I don't get depressing or too dark with the the joke itself. Um, but if I'm personal and I'm and I'm making it a joke, I'm making it funny. We're laughing about it. Here's what happened in my life. I've got a, a, a story about my daughter who struggled with meth addiction for 10 years. And uh, in fact, I have two stories about her mm -hmm. and um, I've had, and the joke always gets a laugh and I've had people come up to me after the show and thank me for telling the story and the joke. And because they're dealing with the same thing in their family, uh, in their life, their daughter, their sister, uh, and they'll want to talk. Like, how did you get help for her? How did you solve that problem that you just shared on the stage? That was funny. It was a joke. I didn't bring the crowd down with it, but they knew and they've lived it. And they, they come to me after the show. Now, four weeks ago, I had probably my worst bomb ever. That was my fault. You still uh, bombing? You still bombing? I bombed bad twice. And the last one, uh, I just recently went through a separation in my marriage and I mm -hmm. got on stage and I didn't prepare. And I had some jokes that I had tried out singularly 
and they landed well, divorce jokes. Uh, but then I got up there that night and I just, I just sounded like a depressed drunk <laughs> divorce dude. And I, everything was terrible. Every joke, and the crowd was just sitting there. Like I could see some of them putting me on their prayer list at church. It was so bad. And I couldn't let go. Cause I, I had to fill some time in my mind. I was like, well, I got to do 10 minutes. So I'm just going to double down. And it was horrible. And I felt so bad and I apologized to the crowd. But I just, I, it was, you know, and I you was going my, through it. I mean, you was going through it. Like yeah. you was going through it, you know, and they, some people say laughter is good for pain, but you know, but sometimes, but sometimes I always say somebody got to make the comedian laugh too. Yeah. To yeah, get rid of that true. pain, you know, but I would say my advice to myself and anybody else that's having a, a, a tough day is don't try to uh, riff and 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 ad lib on your day when it's when it's bad and you're depressed. Mm-hmm. If you haven't like taken that same material and turned it into funny jokes that you prepared and that you're willing to share, that you prepared. Like all my stuff that I share, I prepared it to tell. It's mm-hmm. real, but I prepared it to tell. It's got a punchline. It's got a setup. It's a story. Uh, and sometimes I might make the punchline a little funnier than what actually happened, but it's all based on truth. But just to go up there because you had a, a miserable week and just start telling everybody about it, that never goes well. Yeah. And I realized, too, a lot of people like uh, drunk stories, too. People love drunk stories. Uh, I had a story I told on stage a while ago, and I could have kept it. I didn't. I was taking, I was going too fast with it because I got limited time on it. But it was a joke when I found out I was like, I was like cheaper than my other friends. So we had to, uh, this is a true story. One of my friends was getting married. So we all just hung out. We were just hanging out. So we was like, we could throw like a house party during the day, just a little gathering with us five or six. So we could go to the store. So they, they was my, all the like, a special brand of uh brands of like hamburger buns, the expensive beers. I'm like, dude, we can get key keystone, we can get uh 88 cent kind. I said we can get all this and have just as great of a time. And people was loving that because some people can relate to that. Yeah, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. so I always that right there always worked because it's it was a true story. I literally did walk around the store with them, like, bro. Why are we buying this? Like, dude, we gonna be drunk. We ain't even gonna know what we eating anyway. I got a I got a story where I compare the Viagra commercial about you know these people are always some Hilton Head couple with uh, matching clawfoot tubs on a wraparound porch overlooking the ocean with a rope hammock and all that. And I always say I want to see a real commercial where Susie rolls up on Friday afternoon with a twelve pack of of uh, Path Blue Ribbon PBR. Yeah. The crowd immediately starts laughing because they're like, yeah, and a $5 Little Caesars pizza pizza. <laughs> and now they're like, yeah, that's us. She rolls in with a Viagra single pack, throws it on the table, and Bubba looks up and goes, roll tide. The crowd always roars. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes the simplest things in life will get you going, will get your day yep. going, you know. Yeah. So what you got next, man? So what's going on with you next? What, what, what shows you got coming up, man? Um, so I got shows in Monk's Corner, South Carolina and Somerville, South Carolina. I just got a, a new venue in Somerville. It's a black box theater. Mm-hmm. Seats 80. They're very, very great venue owners. Uh, it's called the Old Trolley Theater. And I got uh, Kostaki Economopolis 
coming to do that show at mm-hmm. the end of, at the end of May for Memorial Day week. He's from the Bob and Tom show. And I've got a killer venue that's every other Monday in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, at a restaurant called Dreamers. Again, great venue owners. That's the mm-hmm. key. Great venue owners that turn that place into a comedy club every other Monday night. So we had that fan for New Year's in there. He did two shows, mm-hmm. sold out. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's uh and, and that both shows are fantastic. And then personally, uh, I'm leaving here after this call, heading up to Myrtle Beach to do a, a private gig at a high school reunion for the class of 81. So is that your class? No, they're they're uh from Hillsboro high school and i'm not sure where hillsboro north carolina or south carolina but they're hillsboro, uh, hillsboro is in north carolina so there i'm going to their class of 81 high school reunion tonight and um i'm really excited about that because those those are my people uh, man you're a busy man let me hold something man cash at me or something man damn you know yeah i you, wish comedy was stacking up the money i wish it was you out I, there getting it I also do a little DJing, so I've got some weddings and some car shows. I'm DJing. Look at you going uh, to these redneck weddings. Boy, I see you. I see you. Uh, now, have uh, you been to a black wedding yet? I haven't DJed a black wedding. You I've probably won't. You wedding. probably want to, don't you? You look like you I want to. Love to. I know I you do. Keith, Big Daddy D on the ones and twos. <laughs> I know you want to. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you one thing. All of them go, go, hey, R. Kelly, till you uh, start playing stuff for the day below. They'll be like, well, we'll forget this motherfucker right for one time. Uh, yeah, we're going to forgive him. We're going to forgive him this one goddamn time. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I put him, uh, my daughter, I think, uh, told me to add him to my song list. And I was like, wait, doesn't everybody hate him? She's like, they might hate him, Dad, but they love that damn song right there. So you hey, listen, this step in the name of boy. Listen, all right, I'm gonna tell you a playlist right now when you go to the Black Way. So I'm gonna help you prepare for this, man. You gotta all do right. the Cupid Shuffle. Really? Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I ain't even done yet. You gotta do the uh, Let Your Slide. You, you definitely gotta get, you gotta get that in there. Uh, you you gotta do step in the name of love, Kales. You, you got to. Uh, you got to do. Oh, I can't think of they, they names right there. I, I I know the sample in my head. Uh, it's that song before I, the one that Beyonce redid. I forgot the name of that group. It's called uh, Before I Let You Go. You got to play that song. You got to do wobble, right? Wobble. You got to wobble. Yep. You got to wobble. You, you got to do all that. Uh, they, not to her 10 when the bride and groom when they dance or when the men, I don't know which, I don't know if you do dance straight, I don't care. But when the when the when, when the two people uh dance, they probably gonna want John Legend uh All of Me is probably the like the number one wedding song. So Black I'm helping you straight, all of them want that song. Uh gay people, I'm not sure. I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure because I ain't I ain't married, I don't know. So I'm not I'm not sure. Uh but I mean why not? I mean they're probably gonna want that. Or I don't know. Something get some gay people like pink too. But I'm just saying, like, I'm just breaking it down to you. It's like, it's like that's half of the playlist right there. That's half of the playlist right there. So uh so I'm just letting you know. Now, white waves, that's all you. <laughs> that, that that's all you. I don't I, I don't know what songs that they like. We got to put wagon wheel in there sometimes. So for what? For a white wedding, they always want to hear wagon wheel. September, Earth, Wind, and Fire. They want to hear yep. that. Uh, uh, celebration. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, John Legend for sure. Oh, they got oh John Legend. 
that right, that song. Well, he sold his his music catalog now, so he don't get no royalties for that song no more. But and then anyway. after uh, after the kids leave and most of the older folks leave and the young people, the last ones left, that's when they get wild. They start bringing me song requests that I'm playing, and I'm like hiding. I'm like, oh no, are we allowed to play this? <laughs> they they, oh, they, they probably they probably tell you to say uh, they probably tell you to play Nicki Minaj Anaconda or something on them. Yes. They get wild. They get wild. I'm like, y'all don't even know how to sing these songs. What are I you doing? I, I honestly did not know that you was in the DJ scene. I had no idea that that, that was one of your things now. I uh I'm I'll be hustling, man. I'm trying to I'm trying to stay busy, trying to stay young, trying to trying to find a way to make some money in this entertainment business. It's hard. It is it's it hard. is, it is. I I work regularly uh now, you know, but um my goal my goal is to try to do some entertainment wise too in the near future. So um I'm kind of got that in a rough draft stage right now, but I feel you. I, I feel you. You know, you you DJing, telling jokes, man. So you out there doing your thing. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put whoever wanna follow you into the, the episode link. So when they see it, they'll be able to click on it, boom, and they'll be able to follow you, all your endeavors, all your tour dates and stuff like that. Cause you're doing it, man. You're doing it. Trying, man. I'm just trying. Just send me a chat. It's all right. Send me a chat with a couple zeros, and we'll be all right. Just send, send me a couple checks. I, 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 I hope the divorce is final. If not, I don't even want to know. But if it's final, you know, you can send more. So, you know, I'm just, you know. I, uh, I'll, I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you out of the out of the surplus. I'll send you money out of the, out of the extra. How about that? That extra gonna be probably zero. <laughs> It's, it's gonna be zero for sure. It's gonna be zero for sure. But once again, Keith, man, I appreciate you coming through, giving me a little bit of your time. You're a busy man, so I appreciate you come coming through uh, about your about your endeavors and your awesome guy, man. I appreciate you having on. It's an honor to have you on, man. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate it. I hope no problem. Goes fantastic for you too, as well. Thank Absolutely, you, man. I appreciate it, bro. All right, take care. We out. <laughs>